You know, we read about in Acts chapter 8, the story of Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. And Philip was called, and he joined the Ethiopian eunuch at the chariot. And he came in, and he was the Ethiopian eunuch was reading from Isaiah. And Philip asked him a question. He says, do you understand what you're reading? And the, the eunuch said, how can I unless uh, some man guide me? And he began to speak to him Jesus. Plain and simple. You know, there's a lot of things we could talk about, a lot of things we could discuss, and a lot of lessons that we could uh, create to, to edify the congregation, the church. Uh, but tonight, I just want to preach Jesus. And I want to tell you who he is. I want to tell you what he wants to do for you. So tonight, the lesson is entitled simply, Jesus the Christ. We see in Matthew chapter 1, verse 18, the Bible says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ was on the wise when as his mother Mary was a spouse of Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Then Joseph, uh, then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not willing to make her a public example, was minded uh, to put her away privily. But while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife. For that which is conceived is, uh, in her is of the Holy Ghost, and she shall bring forth a son. And thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he, for he shall save his people from their sin. Now all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. Then Joseph, being raised from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him and took unto him his wife. And knew her not till she brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. Now, I want you to think about the names that was given to Jesus here. One name that, that the angel spoke to, to Joseph here, that his name is going to be Emmanuel. His name is going to be God with us. It wasn't going to be another prophet to come down to, to give another prophecy. This was going to be the real deal. This was going to be God in the flesh come down to earth. The Son of God that was going to leave glory and come down and walk just like you and I as fleshly man. And I'll tell you what, I thank God tonight that I serve a Savior, that I serve a God who didn't just stay in the cosmos, didn't just stay in the heavens, but He came down and He came down to be a part of the human experience. To me, that gives me a lot of comfort because I know my Savior, my God, not, not only does he know me through creation, but he has walked in the same footsteps. He's seen the same temptation. He's seen the same struggles that I have. God didn't stay in deep space nine, but he knows me and he knows what I go through. Therefore, when I pray to God and I ask for help, Jesus being my mediator, my mediator knows exactly what I'm praying about because he walked in the same footsteps. He was Emmanuel. He's God with us and he's still with us today, this Jesus. Although he's ascended, he hasn't left us. He hasn't forsaken us. Well, we, we call his name Jesus Christ. Jesus wasn't his first name. Christ wasn't his last name. That's not how that works. Jesus means Jehovah is salvation. This would be God's salvation. We call him the Christ. We call him the anointed one. He is anointed. Jehovah is salvation. And he is anointed, Jesus Christ, 
This is the man that came down to walk on this earth of sin and sorrow to leave behind that example for you and I. He's Emmanuel today. He was Emmanuel then. He's God with us. I ask you a question. Do you believe that the Bible is the inspired word of God? Now we have to start right there because it's, it begins there and it ends there. You know, we could preach and teach and we could go through all the books of the Bible. And if you don't believe that that word is real, if you don't believe it's truly inspired by God, that it's, it's God-breathed, then you'll probably not believe what it says. You'll probably believe that this could be a fiction book, but this isn't a book of fiction. This is a book of nonfiction. This is a history book of actual things that happen and, and actual things that are to come. The Bible was written over the span of approximately 1,500 years by approximately 40 authors. It was accurate regarding people and places. Even secular history can look back at the Bible for the information that it seeks. It was the had prophecy fulfilled throughout. Amazing that through that span of time, the stories being told, the prophecy being given, that it was accurate 100% of the time. It, it, it proves itself out that it is true, that it is prophecy, it is inspired. There's agreement in the four Gospels. You take four men, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and they tell the story of Jesus and the things that he did. And all those stories marry up together in some way. Now, it's kind of like four people watching a, a, a vehicle accident. They're all going to put in their own details, but they all line up and they never contradict one another, these four Gospels from these four men. And the fulfillment of the revelation given to John in the book of the Revelation, uh, we take the, uh, many of the, the, uh, a lot of the book, and those things, we look at the Roman Empire, and all those things line up, and all, most of those things have already happened, save a few chapters at the end of the Revelation. This book is true. But it, hey, they've asked me to come and give, hold a gospel meeting. I'm not going to come up here. I'm not going to be the one to say that the word's not true, right? I'm biased. I believe in the word of God. I believe that the Bible is God-inspired, that it is true. Each and every single word of it's true. But tonight, for just a minute, I want to look at some men that, that weren't necessarily Christians, and I want to look at what their point of view was for a moment. They've got no dog in this fight tonight. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 20, the Bible says, Know in this verse that no prophecy of the Scripture is of any private interpretation, for the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. You know, these authors in the Bible, they were directed. They were inspired to write what they wrote. I want to tell you that what I'm about to read from these three men is not inspired word. It didn't come from God. It wasn't prophecy. It wasn't revelation. But these are men speaking as men about things that they saw in history as they have written down. Flavius Josephus, in the Antiquities of the Jews, written about A.D. 93. Josephus uh, was a Roman historian. And again, not necessarily a Christian. I don't have any proof that he was or was not. But this was the perspective of a man as what he saw what he heard. He says... Now there was about this time Jesus, a wise man, if it be lawful to call him a man, for he was a doer of wonderful works, a teacher of such men as received the truth with pleasure. He drew over to him both many of the Jews and many of the Gentiles. He was the Christ. 
He was the anointed. And when Pilate, at the suggestion of the principal men among us, had condemned him to the cross, those that loved him at the first did not forsake him, for he appeared to them alive again the third day, as the divine prophets had foretold these and 10,000 other wonderful things concerning him. And the tribe of Christians so named from him are not extinct at this day. He tells the story, doesn't he? He tells the story of all the wonderful things that Jesus has done, tens of thousands of things that Jesus did while he was on the earth. He was a, he was a wise man, it says. He was a doer of wonderful works. He was a teacher. All these things we know of Christ to be true. We know that Pilate, at the suggestion of principal men, took him to the cross and crucified our Lord and Savior. But he didn't stay there. He says even here that he was alive again that third day. And those people that followed him in that day, they're still following him. There's still people that hold close to Jesus. The Bible says in John chapter 21, verse 25, and there also are many other things which Jesus did, the which if they should be written, every one, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that should be written. Amen. All these things that were done, the world couldn't hold the volumes of books. But I thank God tonight that we have the canon of the scripture the way we do, that we can see wonderful works that Jesus did, the, the, the wonderful things he did to help people. He showed us how to live with compassion for other people, didn't he? Jesus walked around this earth. He had these, these friends, these disciples, these apostles that he was constantly working with to teach because he knew that there would be a time that he would leave this earth, that they would be left behind, and that they would have to carry on the ministry of Jesus Christ. When he found people that were sick and those that were without, he gave to those that were out, and he healed those that are sick, our Savior. We look at another writer, Julius Africanus, quoting the historian Thallus from the extant writings, the fragment 18, about A.D. 50. Again, Thallus was a, a historian. He says, as to his work severally and his cures effected upon body and soul and the mysteries of his doctrine and the resurrection from the dead, these might have been most authoritatively set forth by his disciples and apostles before us. On the whole world, there pressed a most fearful darkness and the rocks were rent by an earthquake and many places in Judea and other districts were thrown down. This darkness, Thallus, in the third book of the history, calls, as appears to me, without reason, an eclipse of the sun. For the Hebrews celebrate the Passover on the 14th day according to the moon, and the passion of our Savior fails on the day before the Passover. But an eclipse of the sun takes place only when the moon comes under the sun. And it cannot happen at any other time but in the interval between the first day of the new moon and the last of the old. That is, at their junction. How then should an eclipse be supposed to happen when the moon is almost diametrically opposite the sun? There was a darkness that fell on the earth and it didn't make any sense of how that eclipse, that darkness could come about. It wasn't the right time. The sun and moon were in the wrong spots for darkness to fall on the earth. Let's continue. Let that opinion pass, however, let it carry the majority with it, and let the portent of the world be deemed an eclipse of the sun like others are portent only to the eye. Phlegon records that in the time of Tiberius Caesar at full moon, there was a full eclipse of the sun from the sixth hour to the ninth. 
From noon until three, there was an eclipse of the sun. Manifestly, that one of which we speak. But what has an eclipse in common with an earthquake? The rending of rocks and the resurrection of the dead and so great a perturbation throughout the universe. Surely no such event as this is recorded for a long period, but it was, as, but it was a darkness induced by God because the Lord happened then to suffer. And calculation makes out that period of 70 weeks as noted in Daniel is completed at this time. Okay, so that we don't have any explanation for an eclipse at the time that the eclipse, the darkness happened. Not only was it the wrong time for where the moon and the sun were, but it was in the middle of the day. It was between noon and three when it should be the lightest. But even all that surpassing, what does an eclipse, what does darkness have to do with an earthquake? And what does an earthquake have to do with these rocks and these rocks for the resurrection of the dead? It must have been God. Matthew chapter 27, verse 45 and 50 through 52. Now from the sixth hour there was darkness. This is inspired word. There was darkness all over the land until the ninth hour. Jesus, when he had cried again with a loud voice, yielded up the ghost. And behold, the veil of the temple was rent twain from the top to the bottom. And the earth did quake, and the rocks rent, and the graves were opened. And many bodies of the saints which slept arose. I'm going to tell you what people like this that are writing things like this, they weren't always kind to Christians. But history reflected that the story was true. What we read about in the New Testament, those things did happen. They happened when they said they, they happened. They happened in the order and the fashion of which they happened. We see man's words and God's holy words are matching up. God's word is true. And these men can't deny it. Last one, Pliny the Younger of the Roman Emperor, Trajan, around A.D. 112. Now, the church has been established for a little while now. And this, uh, this Pliny the Younger, he was a lawyer and a magistrate for the Roman government. And he was sent to investigate these Christians. He writes, Meanwhile, in the case of those who were denounced to me as Christians, I have observed the following procedure. I interrogated these as to whether they were Christians. Those who confessed, I interrogated a second or third time, threatening them with punishment. Those who persisted, I ordered executed. We see the persecution of the first century church. For I had no doubt that whatever the nature of their creed, stubbornness and inflexible obstinacy surely deserved to be punished. There were others possessed of the same folly, but because they were Roman citizens, I signed an order for them to be transferred to Rome. He said these, these people, they were stubborn. He said, I, I, I asked them if they were Christians, and if they did, he said, I, I asked them again and again to see if they'd change their story. And those that persisted, I put to death. Bible says in Matthew chapter 10, verse 32, Whosoever therefore shall confess me before men, him will I confess also before my Father, which is in heaven. But whosoever shall deny me before men, him will I also deny before the Father which is in heaven. I'm going to tell you what, brethren, I don't know if we'll ever get to that point. I pray God that we don't. But I'm going to tell you what, there were some Christians. And surely they had heard these words of Christ that if they'll continue, continue faithful, if they'll continue to confess Jesus no matter what, no matter if the Roman government was pressing down 
and asking them about their Christianity, that if they would stay faithful and they would continue to confess Jesus, that, that Jesus would confess them before the Father. And I'm going to tell you what history bears out, that there were people that had to give that answer. They were pressed by the, the Roman government. Two and three times they were pressed, and after they wouldn't give up confessing their faith in Jesus Christ, they were executed. He goes on, they asserted, however, that the sum and substance of their fault or error had been that they were accustomed to meet on a fixed day before dawn and sing responsibly a hymn to Christ as to a God and to bind themselves by oath not to some crime but not to commit fraud, theft, or adultery nor falsify their trust nor to refuse to return a trust when called upon to do so. When this was over, it was their custom to depart and to assemble again to partake of food but ordinary and innocent food. They met on a fixed day. That fixed day was Sunday, the first day of the week. They came and they prayed and they sang psalms, uh, what he calls a sing responsibly a hymn to Christ. They were singing just like you and I sing. And they made an oath to each other that they wouldn't commit this sin, that they wouldn't commit fraud and theft and, uh, and adultery. And that if any man had need, they wouldn't shun their brother, but they would present a kindness wherever they had an opportunity. And then he says they departed after all this was done, and they, and they went to partake of food, but ordinary and innocent food. But ordinary and innocent food, it sounds like to me that they ate before they left. It wasn't ordinary food, though. And to those that were in power, it wasn't innocent food. They were partaking of the Lord's Supper before they disembarked from each other and then they went and had a common meal together you know Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost and those days after then they that had gladly received his word were baptized in the same day they were adding to them about 3,000 souls and they continued steadfastly in the apostles doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and prayers and fear came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles and all that believed were together and had all things common and sold their possessions and goods and parted them to all men as every man had need. And they, continued, uh, and they continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to the church daily as such should be saved. I'm going to tell you, plenty of the younger, he had really no reason to lie. He was called out to give a truthful account of the things that he saw, the things that he witnessed from these Christians. Sounds like to me that uh, 80 years some odd after Jesus Christ had ascended, they were still the church. They were still doing the things that they had been commanded to do. They were still being faithful. Even through awful persecution, they were still holding firm. He goes on, even this they affirmed that they had ceased to do after my edict went uh, by which in accordance with your instructions I had forbidden political associations. Accordingly, I judged it all the more necessary to find out the truth was, uh, I found out what the truth was by torturing two female slaves who were called deaconesses. But I discovered nothing else but depraved and excessive superstition. They, they took two women who were serving God's church. They called them slaves. We call them servants. You're here today not out of uh, anybody making you be here, but as we talked about the other night, you have a free will to be here. These two women, they had free will to serve God. They were being servants in the kingdom. 
And he looked at him and he said, you know what, these people, they're just depraved and they're full of excessive superstition. You know, to the outside world, sometimes Christianity looks like that. They don't understand the things we do, why we do them. The Lord's Supper doesn't make sense to them. They don't know the meaning behind it. Acts chapter 17, verse 6, And when they found him not, they drew Jason and certain brethren unto the rulers of the city, crying, These that have turned the world upside down are come hither, also whom Jason hath received, and these all do contrary to the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, one Jesus. And they troubled the people and the rulers of the city when they heard these things. It didn't make sense to them. They turned the world upside down. They said, you know what? We know who the king is. The king is Caesar. And these people said, no, 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 no. He's not the king. I'll tell you who the king is. It's Jesus Christ. It's the one, Jehovah's salvation. It is the anointed one. It is Emmanuel, God with us. He's the king. This isn't excessive superstition. This isn't a depravement of mind. This was the gospel. This was Jesus Christ being taught and being followed and being worshipped. I'm going to tell you, friend, these are words of men that had no dog in the fight. They just called it like they saw it. But yet these things up line up perfectly with what we see commanded in the New Testament. I want to ask you tonight, who do you believe Jesus is? Brethren, if there's anything that we've got to talk about, got to talk to, to, got to preach about, it's this man Jesus. You know, his disciples in Matthew chapter 16, verse 13, when Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea of Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? These men that were walking with, Hey guys, who do you think I am? Give me an answer. And they said, Some say that thou art John the Baptist. Now, hey, John the Baptist. Man, he was a man on fire. He was, he was faithful and dedicated to the mission, and he was rolling out the red carpet, preaching that you should repent for the kingdom is at hand there in the wilderness. Some say that you're John the Baptist. Some Elias, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. You know, a lot of people say that that's all Jesus Christ is today, just a great prophet. They don't give him the title of Jesus, the Christ. They don't give him the title of Emmanuel. They say that he was a good man. He was a prophet. And although he fulfilled prophecy and gave us prophecy, he's much more than that. He said unto them, but whom say ye that I am? I want to ask you the question tonight, who do you say that Jesus is? Do you think he's a guy like John the Baptist, great guy, God-fearing fellow? Do you think he's great like one of these prophets that God had inspired him to, to do things, to say things, to tell things? Who do you believe that he is tonight? Simon Peter. Man, if you ever needed somebody to speak up, it was Simon Peter, didn't you? I mean, this guy is Mr. I can walk on water for a minute. This guy is, you're the Christ, and then I don't know the guy. You, I mean, some of y'all, I, hey, I'm going to tell you, there's some big mouth brethren. There's some big mouth brethren in here. There's one talking to you. 
Peter was one of those big mouth brethren. If you need somebody to speak up, Peter would. And Peter stands up and he says to Christ after he asked him the question, Thou art Christ. You're the anointed one, Lord. You're the anointed one. The son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. Who do you think I am? Jesus said, you're the Christ. You're the Savior. You're the anointed one. You're the Son of God. You're not just a prophet. You're not just John the Baptist. You're not just some guy. You're the one. You're the one that we waited on. You're the Messiah that was prophesied to come. And you're here. And you're the Son of God. You're here to take away the sins of man. Now, who is Jesus to you tonight? Is he some just good guy? Is he some just prophet from the from the, 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 the table the, the tablets of history? Well, when you think of Jesus tonight, do you think about him as the Christ, as the anointed one, as the Messiah that came? Do you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of the living God? Because everything that we do past that hinges on that one question, who do you think he is? If you think he's the king, then you worship him. If you think he's the savior of man, let him save you. John chapter 20, verse 24. Still yet some doubt among those who followed him. But Thomas, one of the twelve, called Didymus, was not with him when Jesus came after he was crucified and ascended, or, or resurrected. The other disciples therefore said unto him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Except I shall see in his hands the print of the nails, and put my finger into the print of the nails, and thrust my hand into his side, I will not believe. And again, after, uh, after eight days, again, his disciples were within, and Thomas with them. Then came Jesus, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst, and said, Peace be unto you. Then said he to Thomas, Reach hither thy finger, and behold my hands, and reach hither thy hand, and thrust it into my side, and be not faithless, but believing. And Thomas answered and said to him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Thomas, because thou hast seen me, thou hast believed. Blessed are they that have not seen and yet have believed. And many signs, many other signs true to Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written that ye might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And that believing you might have life through his name. Even Thomas, even Thomas, one that walked with him, who had been foretold about Jesus dying and his coming back. He said, I'm not going to believe unless I see it. I'm going to tell you, brethren, I don't have any hands to show you. I don't have any side for you to put your hand through tonight. But Jesus Christ is talking to you tonight. He's talking about you tonight. He says there, blessed are they that have not seen and yet have believed. Blessed are they that have not seen and yet believed. There's a lot of people in here that we haven't seen Jesus in the flesh tonight, yet we believe. I believe without a shadow of a doubt with everything in me tonight that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. I believe tonight that he came and he lived on this earth. He walked in the flesh, 
God came down from heaven to walk on the earth. I believe that tonight. Do you believe that tonight? That he walked on this earth and he was perfect in all that he did. Do you believe that tonight? Do you believe that uh, cruel men took our Lord and hung him on a cross? Do you believe that tonight? Do you believe that he was buried in a tomb after he was crucified? Do you believe that tonight? Do you believe that Jesus Christ resurrected on the third day? That he would die and that he would live forevermore? Do you believe that tonight? Do you believe that he's ascended to the right hand of God? That he sits on the throne tonight, this Jesus? Do you believe that tonight? Many of the signs truly Jesus did in the presence of his disciples. We could talk about the tens of thousands of things that Jesus Christ did while he was on the earth. But they're not written in this book. But these are written. I want you to have confidence tonight that everything that you need to know regarding salvation has been written down for you. It's lacking nothing. The Bible is a complete book. There's no secrets. There's no other doctrine that you should be saved other than that's what's written in these pages. Everything is there for you. That you might believe what? That Jesus Christ that Jesus is the Christ, that you believe that Jesus is the anointed one, that you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Who do men say that I am? Who do you say that I am? I believe you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. Do you believe that tonight? John chapter 10, verse 23, and Jesus walked into the temple in Solomon's porch. Then came the Jews round about him and said to him, How long dost thou make us to doubt? If thou be the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus, answer, Jesus answered them, I told you, and you believe not. The works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness of me. But ye believe not, because ye are not of my sheep. And I say, as I said unto you, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father which gave them me is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. If you're the Christ, tell us. Tell us plainly. I've told you. I've told you, but you don't hear me. You don't hear me because you're not my sheep. I'm going to tell you what, the sheep hear the master's voice. Y'all do that with, with livestock around here. We do that with our livestock at back home. You know, I've got about six cows, big herd, great big herd, these six. But you know what, those little cows, they're, they're like dogs. I can call, hit cows, hit cows. And you know, I can walk them cows anywhere I want them to go because they're mine. They hear my voice. They know I'm their master. <laughs> they know that I'm the source of all things that are good. Hay, grain, the such like. I'm going to tell you what, if you're a sheep tonight of Jesus, you hear his voice and you follow him. And if you don't believe tonight that he's your shepherd, that he's the caregiver of your soul tonight, you may turn him away. You may not hear his voice. You may not hear his instruction tonight. Who do you believe Jesus is? Matthew chapter 25 verse 33. And he shall set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on the left. Then shall the king say unto them on his right hand, Come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. 
Then shall he say unto all them on the left hand, Depart from me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. And these shall go in, away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. There's going to be a day that there's going to be a separation. And those that hear his voice, those that listen to his voice, they're going to go one way, and they're going to go into life eternal. But there's going to be others that ignored his voice, that didn't listen to him, that didn't let him be the shepherd of their souls. And you know what? They're going to go the other way, and they're going to go to everlasting destruction. And it all is going to come down to one question. Who do you believe he is? Do you believe he's Christ? Do you believe he's the anointed one? Do you believe he's the son of God? Or do you believe he's somebody else? Who do you believe Jesus is tonight? I want to ask you another question. Do you believe that you can save yourself tonight? Do you believe are capable uh, within yourself by your own means that you can obtain eternal salvation by yourself? Do you really trust yourself to that? That you can save yourself? Do you think you can be good enough on your own decree without claiming Jesus Christ as the Christ, the Son of the living God? Do you think you're that good? I'm going to ask you some questions here. Let's look at the scripture. Proverbs chapter 3 verse 1. My son, forget not my law, but let thine heart keep thine commandments. Listen to the heart, because in the heart all things begin. Where is your heart tonight? Listen to the word heart, but let thine heart keep thy commandments. For length of days and long life and peace shall they add to thee. Let not mercy and truth forsake thee. Bind them about thy neck. Write them upon the table of thine heart. So shalt thou find favor and good understanding in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all thy heart. Lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct your paths. I'm going to tell you what, do we have a heart for God? Are we, let, are we willing to let God into our heart that we would claim him? Or do we think we're something else? Do we think we're having too much fun that we can do too much on our own to let him in, to let him abide? Do you think you're that good? Do you think you're that able to do that kind of thing? i tell you what, this heart, we've got to get this heart right because Jeremiah 17, 9, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? That heart's tough. That heart's tough. And the heart deceives us. You know, we live in a world, just do what feels good. Just follow your heart. I'm going to tell you what, if you follow your heart without using doctrine, without claiming Jesus Christ, that he's the son of the living God, and you just follow your heart, I tell you what, that heart leads you right to hell. We've got people all over this world that are just following their heart and they're going to destruction and they're giving no thought about the Savior. They're giving no thought about this Christ, the Son of living God. Genesis chapter 8 verse 21, and the Lord smelled a sweet savor and the Lord said in his heart, I will not again curse the ground anymore for man's sake for the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I again smite anymore everything living as I have done what he said after the flood here. A man's heart's evil from, from the youth. You know, my kids are, are sweet most of the time, pretty good, but you know what? They've got a lot of training that needs to be done. They don't do things good all the time. They're going to have to be directed. They're going to have to be taught. One day, hopefully they'll have Jesus in their heart. 
that their heart would be about serving him. Their heart wouldn't be about following their flesh, but following Jesus Christ in spirit. What about your heart tonight? Have you just been following your heart wherever you thought that it, it might go? Or have you given it some thought, given some attention to God's word to be careful about your heart? Mark 7, for from within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornication, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lasciviousness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and defile a man. We live in a world that has this sin problem because men's just following their own heart. Whatever they think, whatever they think feels good, that's what they follow. But that's where all these things come from. You know, we think about David. He was some of these things. We know David, he was an adulterer. We know David was a murderer. David wasn't uh, he, he couldn't get away from these things either. But David cried out to God, and he said, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. God, I need you to create this heart. I need you to make it clean. I need you to make it pure. I need you to make it to what you want it to be. I can't do it. It's not in man to direct his own path, his own steps. It's not man to lay hold on salvation all by himself because of his works or his deeds or his thoughts. But it comes from a Savior. Romans chapter 10, verse 17, the Bible says, So then faith, we talked about faith this week, faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. You know this process that we get to start changing our life, start cleansing our life? It, I, this is real simple, guys. I'm not going to be real complicated tonight. You know, it starts by hearing that word. My believing in Jesus Christ, it starts by just hearing his word, by reading his word. There's no other way that I can get it but from his word. Maybe it's reading by myself. Maybe it's somebody telling me about the word, but it all comes from the word, the inspired word. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Hebrews eleven six. but without faith it is impossible to please him, for he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder for them that diligently seek him. For without faith it's impossible to please him. I can't have salvation unless I have faith, unless I believe. The two first steps of the gospel, the, the, the plan of salvation is to hear and believe. They're the steps that faith are built on. That's where our faith begins, by hearing the word of God, believing that it's true. Our faith begins there. We continue on in Luke chapter 13. I tell you, nay, but except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. Now, once we establish that faith by hearing the word and by believing it, that causes us to change, doesn't it? It causes us to take action. When those that heard the word of God, they received it, they weren't the same. That word changed them. Their thoughts changed. They were, they were worried about serving themselves. They were worried about food and raiment and all those other things. And they said, you know what? Jesus Christ, he's going to take care of those things for me. I'm not going to worry about that anymore. Their minds changed. You know, they might have loved sins or whatever it was. They might have been uh, drinkers. Hey, they liked the bottle. You know, I'm not going to love that anymore. I'm going to love Jesus in instead. 
This faith is going to change my heart. It's going to make me something that I wasn't before, but I can be now. I'm going to set my affections on things above instead of things that are below on the earth. And we change. That's what faith does. Faith makes us change. Faith makes us move and act. One of those first acts that it does is it causes us to repent. It causes us to change. I'm not going to serve me anymore. I'm going to serve God now. I'm going to serve him because I believe that he is Christ. He's the anointed one. He's the son of the living God. And I'm willing to change. I'm willing to give in to him. Romans 10, 10, for with a heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with a mouth confession is made unto salvation. So we have that faith building, we have that repentance, and then we have a confession. Not only do I believe it in my heart now that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, but I'm willing to take it a step further, and I'm willing to confess it before men that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. I'm not ashamed. I'm not going to deny him. I'm going to confess him. I'm not going to hide him in the closet, but I'm going to put him out in the open, and I'm going to walk with him, and I want, to, I want a public walk where everybody can see this change, and everybody can see my Savior and glory in my Savior, this confession. We see in the days of old, Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 25, then will I sprinkle clean water upon you, and you shall be clean. See the use of water. From all your filthiness, from all your idols, will I cleanse you? And what's that? A new heart also will I give you, and a new spirit will I put within you. And I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh, and I will give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you, and cause you to walk in my statutes. And you shall keep my judgments and do them. He said in days of old that I want to sprinkle pure water on you, and I want to purify you. And I want to put a new heart within you. And I want to put my spirit within you. We go and look in Acts chapter 2 verse 36. Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made the same Jesus whom you crucified both Lord and Christ. He is the anointed one. And now when they heard this they were pricked in their hearts. And he said to Peter and to the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? And Peter answered, said to them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. How, do, you, do you see what they said? They were pricked in their heart. They were pricked to the core. They were pricked in their heart. They didn't want that old heart anymore. They wanted a new heart. They wanted a heart that lived for God. They realized the evil that they'd done, that they'd murdered, that they'd hung on the cross, Jesus Christ, the anointed one. Jesus, Je Jehovah is salvation. Jesus, Jesus, Emmanuel, God is with us, the son of the living God. And he says here, this is what you need to do. Repent and be baptized. We see as he said in Ezekiel. He wants to cover you in pure water. And he wants to cleanse you of all your sins. And he wants to put his spirit within you. As we see here. And I will put my spirit within you. In the New Testament. When all this had come to fruition. You shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Or the Holy Spirit. God puts his spirit within us. And we are changed forevermore. We're not the same creature. We believed in him. And that belief has moved us to action. Did they, did, did, were these guys biblical scholars at this point? 
Could they tell you all the doctrines of the New Testament? Could they sit and, and, and lecture large crowds of people sharing their information? I'm going to tell you what these guys knew. They knew truly without a shadow of a doubt that Jesus was the Son of God. They knew that this Son of God was hung on a cross, that he was buried, that he was resurrected, and that he ascended. He was truly the Son of God. That's what these guys knew, plain and simple. That's what they knew. And Peter said, because you know this, because you know that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, you need to repent, you need to be baptized for the remissions of your sins. I'm going to tell you tonight, you don't, know, you don't have to know a lot to be a Christian tonight. You don't have to be eloquent in speech about the Scriptures tonight. You don't have to have it all together. You don't have to be perfect. You don't have to be pure in self-control. What you do have to know, though, tonight, and you have to believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And if you believe that, tonight you can take the steps and you can put on salvation tonight. And it's as simple as that. God didn't make this difficult where people struggled to obtain their salvation. God made the plan of salvation very, very simple. That you would hear his word, that you would simply believe it, that you would decide to make a change, that you would publicly confess it, that you'd be baptized in the blood of Jesus Christ. What are you calling today? Matthew 1, Behold, a virgin shall be with child and, and shall bring forth a son. They shall call his name Emmanuel, which is interpreted God with us. Is he Emmanuel to you today? Is he Jesus Christ on the earth with us? Matthew 16, 15, he said to them, But whom you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Do you believe that he's Jesus Christ? Do you believe he's the Son of the living God today? Now I ask you tonight, have you welcomed him in? Revelation chapter 3, verse 20, the Bible says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock, and if any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and I will sup with him, and he with me. To him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame and sat down with the Father in his throne. I don't know if you've ever seen the depiction that there, a famous artist uh, made of this scene about the Lord knocking at the door. If you see that, you see the Lord's back turned and he's standing in front of the door and there's no handle on the door. There's no handle on the outside of the door. And I think it's very wise in taking the scripture and that depiction of what the author was trying to say. Jesus Christ, he's not going to grab that door and rip it open and come in. He's going to knock on the outside of it, but you've got to pull the handle. You've got to let him in. He's not here to force himself on you. He's here for you to make a choice. To open the door. All you've got to do is believe that he's Jesus Christ, the son of the living God. And he wants to come in. And he wants to help shape and mold and better your life on this earth, but better yet more. He wants to save you from hell. He wants to give you eternal life. He wants to give you eternal home. Last of the night, Mark chapter 2, verse 15 and it came to pass that as Jesus sat at meat in his house, listen, many publicans and sinners sat also together with Jesus and his disciples. Publicans and sinners. 
And when the scribes and Pharisees saw him eat with the publicans and sinners, they said to his disciples, How is it that he drinketh with publicans and sinners? When Jesus heard it, he said to them, They that are whole have no need of a physician, but they that are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. I'm going to tell you what, brethren, tonight I am so glad, I am so filled with joy that Jesus Christ sat with publicans and sinners. I don't know about you, but that really excites me. I want you to think about the prospects of the publicans, those tax collectors, those people that often took more than it was required, more than that was necessary, and gave them to themselves. I want to tell you that they were a very selfish people. These publicans, they were often filling their own pockets, worrying about their, their selves and not just the other things that they were, the, the, the other taxes they were told to collect. I'm going to tell you that publicans were very selfish people. They worried about themselves. And we know what sinners are. We know sinners are those that transgress God's law. Those that take the things of the Lord and do the opposite. I'm going to tell you tonight, I'm very glad to tell you that Jesus sat down with selfish people who, weren't, uh, who were concerned more about themselves than other people, and he loved and he sat and he ate with sinners. He sat and ate with people like me. People that were selfish, people that lived and just did their own will, did what they wanted to do, only thought about themselves. And he ate with those who transgressed God's law. I'm going to tell you what, he showed compassion. He didn't shun those people. He showed compassion. Some of the most intimate things that you and I do as brethren is we we love to sit down and have a meal together. I'm going to tell you what, Jesus Christ sat down and had these meals with people that were selfish and people that transgressed God's laws. Why? Because he was knocking at their door. He was showing them who he was. That he wasn't this God that can't be touched, but he is our God. He is Emmanuel. He is God with us, even us publicans and sinners. If you look at yourself tonight and you say, I'm a publican. I'm a person that serves myself. I serve my own wants and desires. If you say tonight that I'm a sinner, that I've transgressed God's law. I'm going to tell you what, Jesus sat and ate with people like you, and he loves you. And he's knocking at your door tonight. He's knocking. Let me in. Let me in. Are you there? Let me in. Who do you think I am? Do you believe I'm Christ? Do you believe I'm the son of the living God? If you do, let me in. I'm going to tell you what, brethren, if you'll come to him, if you'll just open that door, he'll come in. And your life and your eternity will be forever more changed if you'll just believe that he's Christ, the son of the living God. Thank you for listening to today's sermon podcast. If you'd like to know more about this subject or any other Bible topic, send us a message at our Facebook page, The Church of Christ, Wheeler Area.